If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fifth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please click that subscribe button. Follow us for authentic and encouraging Christian content. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Or check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. You'll find blogs, sermons, study guides, podcast links, and lots of free stuff. We hope that you enjoy today's broadcast. All right, so we're in John chapter 13 today, and we're going to do our very best to try to get through the whole chapter in the time we have. Um, Let's just focus on the first 17 verses to start, and uh, I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll come back and talk about all of it. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the, with the towel which, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Uh, Peter, Jesus said to him, Why, What I am doing to you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs no, no only to wash Pardon me. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it is completely complete, completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew that one who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for I am, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So let's focus on the disciples first before we talk about Judas and his fall um, and what all that entails, which I know we've talked about Judas in times past. Uh, the first thing is that this section of Scripture really divides up some of the things that Jesus took priority on. And I don't know if you've ever thought about if you were given a timeline. Um, I think they're probably pretty much giving the king over in England a timeline right now. A lot of these people will get sick and, the, and they'll say to you, you have so many months or so many years or so forth, maybe You know, if they ever come in and say somebody you love has 24 hours or 48 hours, that is the worst feeling in the world to know something's imminent. 
Um, and the doctors have given kind of a basic timeline. Well, Jesus knows he's going to die the next day. He knows this. So what he puts as priority is probably not what the apostles had predicted. We would assume, or at least I would assume, if I were one of his disciples and he, this was his last day on earth, he would go stand on top of the temple with his hands spread out and say, I am the Messiah. Let me tell you what I'm about to do. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die on the cross. I mean, I would, I would expect Jesus to do that. Or I would expect him to maybe pour out the Holy Spirit upon them then. You know, pour out the Holy Spirit so that they could, they could fully do everything that God had called them to do. Or maybe uh, he would sit down with some, what we'd say, reporters. Why, why didn't he sit down with some scribes and say, let me tell you why I'm the Messiah? We might have a whole list of things. Jesus' agenda with his disciples on that last night is to do something that he'd always done, which is eat with them. But something else that we don't have any record of him ever doing before, and that was to wash them, to wash their feet. Uh, this is a, a clear sign that from this point forward, John wants to shock you. He wants you to see what Jesus did was spent time in prayer, spent time in service, answering questions, and he marches to the place, literally, where he is going to die. He's ready for it. And it's the opposite of what we might think. So John, from an eyewitness standpoint, is going to give us some details in these next four or five chapters that you don't see anywhere else other than in John. And this story impacted John so greatly that he has to include this large section about what happened during this washing of feet. Uh, it teaches us some lessons about humility, uh, holiness, and also to avoid hypocrisy because Peter is struggling with this hypocrisy at this very moment. And uh, he's all in when he thinks Jesus wants it. But if he's not sure it's right, then he's, he's all out. And so this is, becomes a little argument. Um, so he knows the next day he's going to be crucified. He knows he's going to be betrayed. And if you go back to the previous chapter and you look at the other uh, gospel accounts, you know what the apostles were doing on the way to get to this location? Arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you're the greatest is the lowest, and the lowest is the greatest. I mean, he's made that clear a couple times. And so they're out there, you're arguing on who's the best, and who's going to get the right hand, and who's going to get the left hand. And Jesus does something that there isn't one of them. Not only did they not do it, they wouldn't have done it. They would not have done it. You as a man of the house have provided to you servants or a wife, the women wash feet. And so... When you come into the house, if there's nobody to wash you, you're not getting washed. You're not going to wash your own feet right now. And you're not going to have well, sit down and wash somebody else's feet. It would have been putting yourself in a lower position. I'm not going to walk into my own house and wash my own feet. I'm not going to, if there's no servant, I'm just going to leave them dirty. Because it, it's somebody else's job to wash my feet when I come in. Jesus recognizes it, but he, uh, at first, they, they have the assumption they're going to have a normal meal. They're going to do what they always do with Jesus. But Jesus shocks them. And it says not only that, he, he didn't just get down into the floor and wash their nasty feet. He also took a towel and tied it around his waist. And what's that towel being used for? Right. To dry the feet. Okay, so the feet are dirty. He's washing them with his hands. And then he's using the towel to... Did any of y'all play sports in school? Did any of you have PE? Yeah. You ever smell the locker room? Yes. You ever smelled a locker room full of men that hadn't showered in months? Have you ever smelled the feet of men who hadn't showered in months? Can you imagine the nastiness, the filth? I don't care what you're in Jerusalem for. You're going to be walking on dirty roads. So these guys were filthy. And Jesus gets down 
and, and gets himself in the lowest possible position to be able to wash them. Now, remember, they, they're eating a feast. There's this big meal. This is supposed to be, this would be like having a, a, a dignitary in our town, maybe the president or something like that. And instead of eating the meal at the front, he gets down and he starts washing people's feet underneath the tables. We'd be like, no, 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 no. we came here to hear you. You're, you're, the, you're the person that's on the spotlight. But Jesus just completely flips it. And there was so much pride in that room this night. There was so much arrogance. There was so much uh, pr- uh, this, this, this thought that they were number one. They had all these egos in this room tonight. And Jesus just gets down and, and they really don't know what to say. Uh, Peter, Peter basically says, you know, are you, what, are you, what are you about to do? Are you, you ain't going to do this to me. I'm not going to let you do this to me. Yeah, Diane? Right. Isn't it a, um, still like a cultural thing there even today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were slapping it with their shoes yes. as an insult. Yes. Because it's, it has something to do with their culture. It, it's, yeah, it's an Asian culture. It is. We forget sometimes that Jesus is Middle Eastern. Um, their culture in Israel is so far <laughs> removed from ours, we wouldn't even recognize some of the similarities. There, there, there are some subtle similarities, but for the most part, everything you see over there is just so different from what we do. There, a lot of people don't own cars. They walk everywhere they're going. Uh, they all have animals. That's part of the, part of the thing. And in Jesus' culture, they're lacking the technology and all of those particular things. But the feet, in fact, what they would do when they were going to have, you remember in uh, Ruth's a good example, when they had a, an, a, a, a transaction, they said, we want to offer some surety or an assurance or a down payment or some kind of a, uh, an item from the person. And, and in, in some cases, it was a shoe. It was a, it was a sandal. And for them, they couldn't just go down to shoe carnival, you know, and buy two or three pair of shoes. Some of those were handmade. So they were very expensive to have shoes. So you would unlace your shoe. And it's not just like a flip-flop. Their sandals had wraps around them. Uh, and sometimes they covered the toes and sometimes they didn't, depending on how far they were walking and what they were doing. But they would wrap these leather straps. And so if you took off a shoe or a sandal, you walked out of that room. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when you got one shoe, you ever have to put on a shoe somewhere and you're trying it on and you do that little limp walk? You're going to do that limp walk all the way home if you give that shoe to somebody. Uh, and also, if you want to shame someone, you slap them with a shoe or you hit them with a shoe. Remember when George Bush was over doing the uh, press conference and the guy took his shoes off and threw them at him? Yes. I, 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 first of all, when I saw that video, I thought, well, bless him, Secret Services, they were sleeping. He threw both shoes before they came out of that door. The other thing that I thought about was he's smirking. Like, it's to us as America, I don't care how much you've been taught about culture, if somebody just takes their sandal off and goes, Nuh! you know, you, you'd go, okay, that was... That, what is that about? You know, that's all you got. And so they would take their shoes and hit people or slap people or throw people. And that means that you are as dirty, as filthy as my foot. And um, so they, they would have seen this as a, an insult. Jesus, how dare Jesus? That's why Peter really got upset. Who, who is he to wash our feet? This is, he's so far above us. Yeah. I think mostly they were all confused. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's going on? Right. Why is this happening? Yeah. And uh, even after Jesus had washed their feet and dried them, mm-hmm. I, I imagine they was kind of sitting there in a the cloud. Yeah. Wondering now, 
just what's happening here. Right. Uh, they've already been with Jesus a long time and experienced a lot of things, but this is a first for them. Yeah. And we don't know who is in charge of booking the servant. Remember, in the other gospel accounts, Jesus actually sends a couple disciples ahead to prepare the room or to say that they need the room. So is it the disciples' fault there's not a servant? Is it the home, the housekeeper's fault? That's very possible. Uh, culture and, or not cultural tradition, tells us that this is the house of Mary, who is the uh, mother of John Mark. So if this is John Mark's house, he, in Mark's gospel, he's with him, and then he runs off in his PJs. So those, those, those stories line up. And, and so Jesus would have known the house. He would have known who was available to do what. So either Jesus didn't book them, the disciples didn't book them, or they did not have, the woman of the house didn't come up to do it. Maybe she wasn't invited. Maybe this was an all-male dinner. But the fact is, when Jesus looks around and there is no one to wash feet, his response isn't go, go find the servant or who's going to do this. He automatically takes the initiative. And this, this is really about humility, but it's also about somebody's got to get the work done. And this is, uh, this is you know, we talk about our strengths and our weaknesses. That's one of my weaknesses. I, I just cannot sit and watch when something needs to be done. I'm just going to have to get up and do it. Uh, I just can't, I cannot stand laziness. It bothers me to, I, I just can't tell you how much, but I hate procrastination. And so I, I'm sitting there, if I were like Jesus, I probably would have just jumped up and said, we got to fix this. Somebody, and if nobody's available, then I'm going to be the one that does it. Um, but, and that's Jesus's inspiration is he's going to show these men humility, but really it's just a job that needs to get done. Yeah. Poor old Peter. Yeah. I mean, bless his heart. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's always the Mm-hmm. Open mouth is good. Yeah. Know, can't relate to him. Oh yeah. You know, how, you know, he's always gonna, you know. Yeah, and he's 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 upset. He's gonna wash his feet, and then when he when he overreacts because he says, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah," Jesus, wash my feet, wash my head, wash my, and he's like, "Look, Peter, you don't need a bath. That's not what this is." Um, and and again, you're right. Bless him. He 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 can't even when he tries to correct something, he messes it up. <laughs> So, um, uh, and I do think uh, how, again, the nastiness of doing something like this and the pattern he sets up, he says, if, if I'm doing this for you, you ought to do this for each other. Uh, and, and that means that if you're ever um, with a whole row of people and you've got to pass food, you know, sometimes it is with the tray, you're waiting for the tray and maybe they skip your pew. We get skipped a lot. Because there's only me and Misty at the end, and the other end is an eternity away. So usually they'll, whoever's down there on that end will take it, and then we're sitting there waiting for somebody to come back. But usually if you're sitting in a row and the, something's getting passed, something's getting done, you have two options. The apostles never, ever made an effort to get out and wash each other's feet. Jesus started the first foot, and he said, you ought to do this for each other. And he does the second foot. And then he goes to the second apostle and he does the first foot and the second foot and he goes to the third and this progression, they go all the way down the line and he's sitting there going, y'all ought to be washing each other's feet. This is what I'm doing this so that y'all do it for each other. The guy on the end, by the time you get to the other end, if it's Peter is at the first seat, his feet are completely dry. He sat there and watched Jesus wash every single person's foot. And he has sat there in that seat and washed 
And he could have easily gotten up and grabbed a towel and helped him. Jesus says, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to do this, you better do it to each other. And they sat there and watched every single foot and didn't. So uh, it, it really, at this moment, they could not let go of their pride. They would not allow themselves to wash another man's feet. They wouldn't do it. Even wash Judas' feet. Yeah, and wash Judas's feet. Whew, that's one that uh, I probably wouldn't wash too much if I was going to start it. You wouldn't get it clean, would you? Yeah, no, or he might lose a few toes or something. But how, how, how would you, if you were in that situation, you knew that this man has already bargained for your life. He's already planned. He knows exactly how much the, the, the reward is going to be, 30 pieces of silver. He knows exactly who to talk to. He's got his liaisons inside the Sanhedrin. He is, he's all in. And when Jesus washes their feet, and then he tells them, you know, whatever you're going to do, go quickly. Judas exits, and he knows already what the outcome is. And Jesus washes his feet anyway. And probably gave it just as much as attention as he did anybody else's. Yeah, probably. I think one of the things is, you know, people sit back and don't do anything. Yeah. And we need to always be looking for opportunities to serve. Right. And along with, with Jesus washing his feet, he was heaping coals of fire on his head. Yeah. I mean, Judas had yeah. to have. I mean, Judas knew what he was going to do. Right. And here he's got... Jesus washing his feet and he's going yeah. to be training him. Right. That, that would be, I mean, a normal person. That, that yeah. Heaping cold to fire on his head, that would be devastating. Right. But yeah. it didn't devastate him enough, obviously. No. Carrie, what were you going to say? I said I was wondering what, how Jesus was feeling as he was washing his feet. Yeah. Imagine, um, you know, you're about to betray the guy that's doing this. You're sitting there watching it. I mean, I would, I would think that his conscience had to get a hold of him. I mean, I, I don't know how you could sit there and keep a straight face, uh, knowing what you're about to do. And it should it should have changed his mind in that moment. Mm-hmm. Why would you want this guy to die? Okay, yeah. I think he probably had. I think he'd already made the agreement, and he just needed to pick up his payment so that he could walk to the site. This was a. This wasn't like he was going in there going, "How much would y'all give me?" I know where he is. He'd already done that. He'd already told him, I know where you can find him. I'll lead you to the place. And so this is the, this is the hour. This is when uh, they knew that a lot of the people would be enjoying feasts and would not be paying attention. Uh, it's one reason why some things happen uh, in a news cycle. If you ever notice really, really bad news, you know, sometimes drop on the weekend so nobody can talk about it until Monday. And by Monday, six of the things have happened. So that's what happens here is they catch, the, the Jews catch the disciples off guard and really the world off guard they're they're focused on passover they're not they're in they're preparing meals this would be like if somebody's coming to rob you blind you know they wait until you go to somebody's house for christmas or thanksgiving dinner i mean they are taking this liberty to punish jesus and the apostles with as little media coverage as possible they want to do this very quietly they want to whisk him away and they want to kill him Unfortunately, the only way the Romans would approve of it is if it was crucifixion, which became more public. That was a, everybody knew he was going to be crucified on the, on the, on the hill. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of concern when we see him. I mean, Jesus is down on his knees. He, I think that image stayed with him. I think you can see it in 1 Peter 5 when Peter talks a little bit about humility. But this is what is important for someone who claims to be a holy, clean person, is you have to let Jesus 
cleanse you. Uh, and not just like uh, Peter's talking about, you know, go ahead and do my whole body. Jesus, his blood does cleanse our whole body. But certain moments where we have an opportunity to serve someone else, they see Jesus in us in that moment, even though it may just be our hands. You know, um, and I know we probably all face this. There's people in the church that hurt you sometimes. Yeah. And because that person may have hurt you, uh, then you can't stop if that person's in need to, to serve and try to help that person. You know, if that yeah. person be sick or... Or needs to be visited in the hospital or something like that, even though they've hurt you and hopefully you've forgiven them, yeah. that, that you will, you know, that you will do what you need to do and let that be a sign, you know. Yeah. And and we've probably had to have that situation where somebody we know that maybe has hurt us has asked for prayer and you feel like I'm not gonna do that for them. But you should. Yeah. Go down a rabbit hole. Okay. I'm all people know this. We, we don't know how many people were actually at the crucifixion. Right. It was public, mm-hmm. and there's a few names, but was there a crowd of other people that, that, that witnessed this? Uh, yeah, if there was a public execution... And where the, the crowd was there when he was scourged, and they were there when he was presented to the crowd, and that's what they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. So that crowd would have followed him to the cross. Some of them would have followed him to the cross. But the other thing we have to keep in mind is, well, there's really a couple things. One is it is a feast day. It's a feast week. So uh, this would be like saying I'm going to go watch something public on Christmas Eve, you know, or on, on New Year's Eve. You know, this is, a, this is something that... Um, you know, if you're in, you're in. If you if you want to see what happens, great. But a lot of people may have been chosen to be with their families. The second thing is, uh, they would have wanted to watch it until it got close to dark, and they'd want to go home. The problem is, they get out there, and God turns the lights off. So they're out there, and you can't just walk home without a torch. Some of these people probably came to the crucifixion unprepared, and as that sun goes black. Uh, they would have had to stumble around and get home. So I think whoever was at the foot of the cross when it started probably was there when it ended. They probably stayed the full six hours and watched him. Yeah. Probably, though, news had spread about the others that were going to be yeah. uh, crucified that day. Right. And, and, I mean, even if you look back in not that far history, mm-hmm. in our own history, mm-hmm. people will go to a crucifixion or a death of somebody who has been a bad criminal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where some people want to watch it, and you know, with the media, people turn on TV. They want to see it. Yep. And it's like you know, it's looky moves. And yeah. And there's a lot of people who do that. And, yeah. Um, you, know, you think about then that would spread quite quite readily. Right. And, yeah, I had a great grandfather that a uh, great great grandfather, I guess it was, that was a judge, and they he was the last person to hang somebody in the state of Missouri, and they had pictures of the square, and I mean, it's just packed. People on top of buildings, people you know, standing on podiums on the shoulders, you know, even adults on shoulders to try to see. Uh, and this was a high profile death. It was supposed to be Barabbas. So this is a, this is a, uh, um, it's kind of like a conspiracy because the men, remember uh, Barabbas is accused of murder. He, he's not just the thieves on the side. He's, it, Barabbas is a bad guy. Barabbas's name means son of a man, which means the mother didn't know what his, who his daddy was. So that means he was born into a house of prostitution, probably. So he's son of a man. Well, they have a choice between son of a man and the son of man. 
They have the choice between someone who is killing and someone who's going to die willingly to save the rest of the world. So the, the contrasts were so far, but I guarantee you there had to be people who never would have thought that Barabbas would have been set free, even though there's a tradition that allowed it to be done. Nobody wanted that guy to go. And so when they get to the cross, who's on the middle cross? Oh, you know that troublemaker Jesus? He's not a killer. He's not a, what's he done? Between two things, what Jesus steal? Did he even steal anything? Well, he blasphemed God. That's not the death penalty according to the Romans. So they had to have this back, backwoods, back, backroom deal, and they get Jesus there. And there had to be people that thought Barabbas was going to be on that center cross, and he's not. So where's Barabbas? No, no bail, you know, no moss. He's gone. He's gone. And he, he, he did not answer for what he did. If he was, as tradition says, like a sidecar, he was a killer, an assassin, he just goes out. And, what, what's he going to do? I mean, he was supposed to, he's dying on a cross for his sin, and Jesus takes the place, so he's gone. If, if your brother, sister, mother, child, wife, husband was murdered by a guy, and you go to the execution, and he's not there, and they said, oh, well, we, you know, we had the Jews out in the center courtyard and gave them a choice, and they said they'd rather have this guy die, well, that means he gets off scot-free. How would you feel about that? That's a demonstration of how corrupt the Jewish hierarchy was. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the ones that arrested Jesus in the garden was not the Romans. No. It was somewhere in the process where the Romans took over mm-hmm. because the Jews weren't allowed to do that right. themselves. But they had their deals and... Uh, and the, the high priest and the ranking members of the Sanhedrin had, uh, they had forces around them. They had their own secret security, secret service agents. Malchus is one who is a servant, but very likely was a part of that entourage that was meant to protect the high priest. And so you've got these men who are themselves Killers. I mean, they, they could be. And under the law, they could be. This is like their own, like I said, it's their, their royal guard. They're, and we see the same thing today um, with, with Catholicism. Um, you have a man in power who says, you know, you shouldn't use weapons and you shouldn't hurt people. And you shouldn't. Have you seen the guys that guard him? Have you seen the guys that guard him? Heavily armed. If they kill someone, they receive no punishment because they're protecting Christ on earth. That's who he is to them. He's the Christ representative on earth. So you can kill for him. Christ by proxy. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, it's, it's really bizarre how quickly from where they were in the 400s AD or BC to now in the time of Jesus, how they had been they so fully corrupted for, for what they were doing. And they could get away with taking a, a trained killer off a cross and putting a guy on there that everybody loved. I mean, he, just four or five days earlier, they were in the streets crying out his name. They're, they're laying down palm branches. This is, the, this is the, the Messiah. They were all excited to hear him, and just they turn on him on a dime for political moves. And sometimes we make those rash decisions where we just throw our hands up. We say, well, I'm never going to support that person. I'm never going to do that person. But they may be the lesser of two evils, you know? And so in this case... Jesus is not the lesser of two evils. He is perfect. He's flawless. He's never done anything wrong. And they just, they turn on him. And 
And I've often wondered what Barabbas did after that. How did he feel? We sing songs about Thomas, and we sing songs about Peter, and we sing songs about Andrew and Jesus, and, but we don't talk about Barabbas. I want to know about this guy. I want to know what he did. They made a movie about Barabbas and what he possibly did. Okay. And What's the name of it? Oh, Lord, I don't know. What I would, well, I'd like to watch that. That might it, be good. It was uh, quite interesting yeah. because it was all pure speculation. Right. Because scripturally, mm-hmm. we don't know. But uh, That's right. it was quite interesting because it had to affect the fellow other than the relief of not being up there crucified right. uh, that the Lord had done this in his place. Right. And, uh, yeah, and, and then that the, one of the guys on the cross basically says, speaks out to the other one and says, he hasn't done the same crimes we have. He's not guilty of the same things we have. He he, he shouldn't be here, but we should. Yeah. So the movie was called Barabbas, and it starred Anthony Quinn. Really? Yeah. Was he Barabbas? <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch that. That's good. I love he those. He's a seasoned criminal, though. He probably just yeah. He probably had no conscience. He probably just was yep. killing somebody else. Went right back out and did it again. He went ahead and kept doing what he was doing. I mean, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. oh, man, isn't that interesting though that? That we can be forgiven and Christ can take our spot on the cross and within short time we're back doing what we were doing anyway. You know, when we should really be saying, I should be changed forever because of what Christ did. But sometimes we go right back to the same sins. And if Barabbas may have done that, he may have went right back to his life of killing. And uh, he seems to be a ringleader. So I mean, it's like having a leader of the mafia sit back on the street. Um, it also shows you the more things change, the more they stay safe. That's right. Look at our political and our yep. government. I mean, it's yeah. all corrupt. Right. Country. <laughs> well, why, why is Herod even on the throne? Uh, he's a cross-dressing uh, sexual pervert. He is a terrible human being. He was, he was, and even his brother. I mean, you know, he's got, he's got a brother that's, you know, he, he, there's some of these guys that are just evil. I mean, flat out evil. And they're switching wives. They're killing wives. They're killing kids. These are just uh, terrible people. And none of, them, none of them were punished for what they did. And there are certain things that people in power, they know people. And they can get away with anything. Literally get away with murder. Um, and they killed Jesus for doing nothing. And that just, uh, really, we stand there and we think, if we were in that crowd, what would we have said? What would we have said? Would we have said, you know, crucify, crucify? Would we have not said a word? The pressure of the people in the Sanhedrin was so much that as we read a few chapters ago, there were parents who wouldn't even defend their own son. They were so scared of the synagogues and the Sanhedrin that they said, he's of age, ask him. We, all we know is he was born blind, he's not blind now. We don't want to be involved because they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. So it was so corrupt, you would not even defend your own child to go against them. And that's crazy. If Peter would deny Christ, we would definitely Yeah, yeah. And I don't know which sin is greater to be quite honest, between what Judas did and what Peter did, we'll get there pretty soon. But I'm both of them. Yeah. No. Maybe levels of mercy, but uh, <laughs> which, what's the difference? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty sad. All right, so let's go down to verse uh, eighteen 
And uh, we'll look through here and talk about Judas for a minute. It says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now, I, I tell you before it comes that when it comes, uh, does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And Jesus had said these things. He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John, by the way. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus, the breast of he, he said, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do it quickly. But no one at the table knew what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, and Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he could, should give something to the poor, having received the piece of bread, then he immediately went out, and it was night. So it's now, the, it's now under the cover of darkness. John shows this several times, the difference between light and dark. He goes under the cover of darkness to, to finish the betrayal, to, to get... Um, to get things handled. But he had, they'd heard him say earlier in the day, we need you to do this, we need you to do this. He, the, he kept the money. So they didn't really, even though Jesus told them, I'm going to dip in the bread, I would have sat there and watched Jesus till he dipped in bread with somebody. You know? And uh, another thing too, if this, there's a question often about what their culture was like. They would often dip in herbs with their, um, with their bread and, and in olive oil. So you, you can assume that at that table, he's not dipping his bread into the, into the cup. He's dipping it into, when he says cup, he means, it's like chips and salsa to them. Have you ever been to an Italian restaurant and they bring you bread and they bring you olive oil and they bring you some herbs and stuff and you get to mix it yourself? That's, middle, that's this Mediterranean, Middle Eastern culture. So he's, he says, whoever I, and they're ripping off bread here. So he rips off a piece of bread, hands it to Judas, and then they dip at the same time into the cup. And then he says, you need to go do it quickly. And so he's the son of, um, uh, he, he's the son of, and it tells Simon, uh, he's, he is a, a well-known person among the 12. He, but he's the, he's the son of perdition. And it was predetermined that somebody would betray Jesus. And Jesus says, I already know who it is. And he just calls him out. Uh, and of course, again, you, you've just had your feet washed by him. Um, and I'm sure he wished he had never been born. Because Jesus says earlier, um, you know, this is something that it'd be better for this person if they were never born. The other thing I don't want you to miss is that, and I, ha I hadn't noticed that. I've read through John 150, 200 times. I, I didn't really notice until uh, when we were studying for this and getting this lesson ready, is when he says that he knows he's going to hurt his heel. Do you see that in verse 18? He has lifted up his heel against me. Now there's a couple of places where that is uh, prophesied. One is in um, Psalm 41. But if you'll remember in Genesis 3, he said in chapter 315, he said, he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So he says, the one who's supposed to bruise my heel just left. And, and in the garden... Who was the one that was spoken to? It wasn't Judas. It was spoken to who? The serpent. And so Jesus basically is saying, somebody's going to bruise my heel. Somebody is the serpent. 
Somebody is the devil. And, and he says that in other places. One of you has a devil or a demon. The other thing, too, I don't want us to miss is it says that after he had done this, after he made this decision, that the devil entered him. Uh, let's go back. Where was that at? That's in um, no, verse 27. After the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So from this point forward, it is the devil's work, much like uh, Pharaoh was in the times of Egypt. Um, so he is using, Satan is using Judas, and so therefore he becomes the serpent. He becomes the, the demonic person. And so a lot of the things from here on in, we, we get really upset about what Judas does. But um, ultimately, I don't know how much of a choice he'd gone down that road so far. He couldn't do it. He couldn't give up. Yeah. He was. And whatever reason, when Jesus chose him, he would have had to have known he was the one. Now there's another, we're talking about books that have been written. There is the Gospel of Judas. Uh, it's, it's, it's a um, fictional rewrite of what Judas really went through. And in that book, uh, it, and I, ha- I can't remember, I don't think I have a copy of it. I did the audio book. But he basically, <laughs> Judas says, Peter's the one who betrayed Jesus. It wasn't me. You know, I, I, I asked for forgiveness and I, I wanted to die for what happened. But Peter is the one who actually committed the crime of, um, of betraying Jesus, which is all false. But here in this moment, Peter thinks he's better than Judas. All of them think they're better than Judas. They all think they're number one. They think they all deserve to be at the right hand. And I I think it's interesting, too, that up to this point, we've seen Peter as the right-hand man. But it is John who's leaning on him. Like, they were very close, very close. I would would argue that John was like his best friend. Uh, And there are so many times that John and Jesus are having conversations. He says he's the one whom... Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So they have this great relationship. So Peter thinks John knows some information. And John says, I don't know who he's talking about. So, so they all took Taylor, right? Yeah, they did. After, after the garden. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, so Barbara. When it says, lean back, mm-hmm. Lord, who is it? Jesus, was this just like a private conversation? Because then back here yeah. it says, no one at the table knew why he did it. Right. So this yeah, for that end of the table, uh, more than likely, Jesus isn't giving long, lengthy speeches. He's just talking at the table. So more than likely, they, he's leaning up against him because they sat and they sat down in a semicircle, uh, half moon, and the servants would go around the inside of the table and wash feet. So it's it's kind of in a U shape. So uh, where they sat at the table, it is not. I know I, I really upset some people when I I showed that picture of Da Vinci and I said this wasn't the Last <laughs> Supper. There were some people who were like, oh no, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, 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 he, he was just, he was an artist. I said, I'm not opposed to it. It's a neat picture. But they would have never sat in a straight line. Um, but they would have been in close proximity to a handful of people. But to talk over people and over food, I mean, most of us, I mean, I have a hard time hearing my wife in the next room. I, I sometimes have a hard time hearing her in the same room. Uh, so <laughs> imagine with all the talking and the food and the hustle and bustle and the cups and the pitchers and all the noise. Uh, more than likely, they didn't. If they did hear it, they didn't know exactly what was going on. So this is kind of at that end of the table: Peter and John and Jesus. And Judas is obviously sitting on one side because they dip in the cup together. Um, 
So yeah, it was kind of kind of a, not necessarily a private conversation, but only heard by a couple of individuals. In that culture, the people, I mean, when they talk face to face, I'm talking about their face to face. Yeah. Americans, when you're over there in that and experiencing that, you want to put out your hand and push <laughs> it back. Yeah. Because they're right in your face. Yeah. It, it, so much so. You can smell their breath. Right, right, right. You know, and uh, that is just the way they speak yeah. face to face. Yeah, I, I think it's fun. I remember that episode of Seinfeld where um, Judge Reinhold is the guest star. He's dating Elaine and he gets up and he said he's a close talker. And so Jerry determines he's going to get just as close and they're like this close talking to each other. We probably all know people that are close talkers. And, but they did. They kept their hands on each other. They sat close to each other. When you greeted somebody, when you came in a room, you gave them a kiss on the cheek. Um, some cultures and more European cultures kiss on both cheeks. But this would have been a, a greeting that they would have kissed each other when they came in the room. Um, and so there's a very intimate relationship. All of them are close. They're like family. Jeff, I think you were next. Yeah, well, yeah I was just thinking about, you know, Judas and how scared he could have been when Jesus picked him out even before... Mm gave him that piece of bread because, you know, I think of it like being in the mafia, you know, once, once you're paid, mm-hmm. if you try to give that money back, you know, maybe he did try before he, you know, got around the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was scared for his life. Like, I can't imagine what was going through his mind. Yeah. And it's almost like Jesus <laughs> says to him, I don't think it was said in haste or in anger. I think it was very, I think Jesus was sensitive to it. I think, I think I, I, I'm not there, I can't hear his tone, but I think I can tell by his words that he basically said, look, if you got to do this, go do it. And it was like, if you're going to do it, do it. Just go right ahead. And he gets up and excuses himself. And, um, and, they, and they're all still sitting there going, who's going to betray? Who's, is it me? Is it you? You shouldn't ask for this. And oh, I, he's just telling you this because they probably arguing back and forth about a hundred different things. Well, I guess it's me because I didn't, you know, go on that trip or do that particular thing or I wasn't able to perform as many miracles as the next guy. And so there's all these arguing back and forth. Who's the worst? They had the conversation. Who's the best? Now they're having the conversation of who's the worst among them. Uh, And Judas leaves and they don't think it's him. I mean, again, it just shows you the betrayal of Jesus's disciples of Judas. It's not just Judas betraying Jesus. He betrayed all of them. I mean, he, he kept the money, and he's the one who, what happened to that money? He had the purse on him. You know, he throws his coins back into the temple when he, he repents and says, I don't want anything to do with this. But what happened with the apostles' money? Was it on his side? Was it on his satchel, you know, when he, when he, when he hung? I mean, what? We don't know. Uh, but I guarantee you that when it was all said and done, they had some hatred for him. Peter seems to have some uh, frustration in Acts 1. As soon as Jesus sends into heaven, he goes, okay, guys, we got first thing we got to take care of is not go pray, not go to the upper room, not wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, first things first, um, we are called the 12 and there will be a replacement. <laughs> I mean, he just, uh, okay, we need somebody to replace Judas. He was not going to let it be called the 12 with Judas on that list of 12. He wanted somebody and they needed somebody quickly. So much so they cast lots for it. Yeah. Do you think if if the rest of the disciples hadn't turned against Christ mm-hmm. before he was crucified, while they was in the courtyard, yeah. would it not have 
changed the whole picture? It might have. I don't know that they could have gotten him out of there, but uh, and and he and did. They'd be standing up for him. Yeah. And they tried that in the garden, sadly. I mean, he tell, in Luke's gospel, he says, make sure you take swords with you. And, and they say, well, we got two, Peter, and, and yeah, we got two swords. And Jesus goes, that'll be enough. I mean, they, they, he, he makes the statement that if they were going to have an earthly kingdom, he would have, his disciples would have fought for it. But when they do fight, Jesus rebukes them. When Peter comes out, you know, cuts his ear off, uh, Jesus basically says, we're not going to do that. Put, put your sword away. That's not what we're here to do. And even if they wanted to, Jesus would have let them. But the fear overtakes them when they see all those guys coming with torches and swords. and Because that's their, it would be like if somebody knocked on your door and they arrested you. If it was the FBI, the CIA, or in these days, the IRS uh, come to arrest you and take you away with weapons. But if you do that and you, you, you're like, these are the people that I've trusted. These are, this is my government. And, the, and they were the Jewish government. They were the governing officials. The, it was like the police of the special secret service to the high priest. So they, they see these guys coming out. They had special robes. They had colors. They knew who they were. Even though they came out at night, they had their torches. And um, instead of going and facing the music with Jesus, they run. And if, if they heard about the scourging and the beating... Probably some of their conscience would have been pricked. Thinking, I wish I was there. If I could have, but, but they wouldn't have known what to do because they would have been so scared. They thought they were next. That's why they went into hiding. Uh, they were worried about being the next person to be crucified. Yeah, Diane. My concordance says um, when he told Judas, "Do what you do quickly," um, it it says that his, Jesus' words once more indicate his control. Mm-hmm. He would die if he directed and not as his determined. Right. So he knew in what order it had to go and how it had to go. Right. He knew how many hours he had to be on the cross. He knew at all those details. And so it is interesting that he, he gives Judas permission. And he's, yeah, Micah. At that point, That's that's a great that's a great point. I think that's absolutely true. I, that make, that totally makes sense. It does. And say that's a, I don't know. In the in the other examples of demon possession, their faces were disfigured, their bodies were convulsing. Uh, he may have contorted his. I don't know. But uh, but that's a. I hadn't thought about that. He may be talking directly to the devil. You go do this. Get it done. And. Uh, he has to do it. Jesus said, nobody's going to take my life from me. I'll lay it down willingly. And uh, that's cool. I hadn't thought about that. Well, ever since the garden, Jesus, knowing in advance all of the things that were going to transpire, mm-hmm. and this had been hanging over his head 
his whole life, mm. his knowledge of what will be yeah. the end. You know, as an analogy, I mean, sometimes when you got something that you're going to have to do, you don't want to do it, yeah. and you put it off just as long <laughs> as you possibly can, you yeah. know, and then finally when you make the decision, let's get it done. Right. You know, and that's... Well, Jesus... Jesus also knows that it was, it was not allowed for the Romans to crucify Jews after dark because on the Passover weekend, it was a holy weekend and they weren't allowed to do that. And so Jesus knows at this point, he has less than 24 hours to live, less than 24 hours. So he's saying, whatever you got to go get it done, go get it done. And by that time, the next day, he'd be dead. He'd be crucified. So um, let's look at those last few verses real quick. So, so when he had gone out, Jesus said... Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." And then the last little section there uh, says, Simon Peter said to them, uh, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. And that really builds up to the speech he gives to the whole crew in chapter 14 about where where he's going he's actually going to prepare a place and then and they would join him soon afterward but it really shows that Jesus's intention was to make a worldwide impact it was not just for dying for the Jews it was not just dying on behalf of the 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 system of the Levitical priesthood and the old law He's dying so that all men could come to him. And he says, I'm going to be glorified in this. I cannot, I cannot not be glorified in this moment. And, and he immediately changes his demeanor. It's not about the food. It's not about the washing of feet. It's not about anything other than just telling his disciples, my hour has come. The next three chapters are, my hour has come. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And all this speech takes place before they go to the garden. None of this is recorded in any other gospels. John, for whatever reason, spends these chapters from now, from 14 to 17, saying this is what Jesus said in the room. This is what Jesus said in the garden, because he wants you to kind of have a whole detail. And he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. It's not just love one another. I'm telling you, you need to love one another as I've loved you. If I wash your feet, you wash each other's feet. If I serve, you serve each other. If I love, you love each other. And lays out this, this new command. It's not that it's new and that they didn't know it. But it is new in that there is a direct application to it. Is that now it's not just love. I've shown you what love is. This is what it looks like. And you need to do it. And I think we need to have that love uh, for, for Jesus. We need to have a, our lo- that same love for uh, other Christians. We need to have that love for the world. This Sunday, I'm going to show four, those four thoughts from Mark. Love Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I'll be gone the 19th for the marriage retreat. But when I come back on 25th, my sermon that morning is going to be love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to take that. It's a two-point sermon. (laughs) Love your neighbor, love yourself uh, that Sunday. And we'll talk about what this all implies. We we talked about last Sunday, this is what love is. 
But how is it applied? How can I show God that I love him with all my heart? How can I show God that I love my neighbor as myself? And so Jesus says, I have exemplified it for you. I I want you to love other people. And the only way they're going to know you're mine is if you love people. Uh, They're going to, and this is, maybe this is too simplistic. Uh, People are not going to know that you're a Christian because you sat in a building on Sunday. People aren't going to know that you're a Christian because you have Bibles in your house. They're not going to know that you're a Christian because you pray. You probably do that privately. They're not going to know that you're a Christian just because you quote Scripture on Facebook. Because there are a lot of people that quote Scripture on Facebook, and they are far removed from anything godly. He says the only way the world will know that you're mine is by the way you treat each other. So, you ready for the deep theological question? I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to have two weeks to process it. (laughs) If Jesus says the only way they're going to know your mind is if you love each other, what does that say about churches that argue, fuss, fight, and feud? You're not getting nowhere. What does that tell people? If you're known, God, know, you're known by being God's child by love. What happens when we don't show love? Who are we the children of? Where where do we rank when it comes to? Those that are godly and ungodly. I mean, he, Jesus even said, oh, you do good things for your kids? Even ungodly people do that. Oh, you give? Oh, even ungodly people give to certain causes. What makes you different? Jesus says the one thing that's going to separate you from everybody else is the way you treat each other. The way you treat people. So if we talked a few weeks ago about Sundays being the worst day for people to go out to eat because the waitress and waiters don't want to wait on us because we're all grumpy. Um, our, the way we are seen, usually it's because I've taken you over a few minutes, like today. Um, so be nice today. Uh, but we, we need to be the type of people that are not shouting and screaming and critical and judgmental and harsh. Uh, we need to be seen as people that love. Now, if you love somebody, you still teach them the truth. You still try to teach them that they, if they're lost. But the way people know is that we're unlike anybody else. We are so loving and so kind and so gentle and so humble that they say, I, that's the kind of friend I want. I love, I love to be around humble people. I do. Because there are times when I'm around, I have some friends that are so full of humility, they can put me in my place in half a second. And I love being around humble people because it reminds me that's how I'm supposed to be too. I need to be, you ever been around somebody that's so wise and humble and they don't say anything and then when they open their mouth, everybody just, you know, they want to hear every word, hanging on every word. Uh, that's the way people should see us is that we're, we're very careful, we're guarded, we're cautious. And when we do say something, it's in love. When we do something, it's in love. If we teach something, it's in love. Everything we do is in love. If we don't have love, we got nothing. Because he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What were you going to say? Well, when we was growing up, Miss Nelly, if we shout and carry on, Miss Nelly used to pull us aside and told us to kiss each other. Yeah. And hug each other. Yeah. And give good thoughts. Yep. Or write a good letter. Yeah. To them. Right. Give them some put ups instead of put downs. Exactly. Yeah. Probably what you say. Yeah, I've been attending a, a Bible study at the RV park where we live. Yeah. On, on, on Tuesday nights, and it's with the ladies' Bible study, and it's non-denominational and mm-hmm. something like that. And we're studying the Book of Luke about compassion. And so last night, one of the um, exercises we did was um, we picked a piece of paper off the table, and there were different colors of paper, and you picked out whatever color you like. You didn't know what you were going to do. Right. And we had to cut a heart out of it, and they didn't say what size. Right. And then the, the um, job was to write a love letter to Jesus. Mm. And 
So some of us wrote a lot, and we had a big heart, uh -huh. and some people cut out a small heart. And when we started, to, you know, breaking this apart, it was: Would you have chosen a different color of paper if you knew that you were writing a letter to Jesus? And I actually chose the paper for my neighbor, and I just gave her a piece of beige paper. <laughs> and she said, I absolutely would have chosen a different color. <laughs> and I chose turquoise because I like that color. But um, it was it was really a great exercise because you could write down your feelings about mm -hmm. Christ and the love that. He shows to us, and then why do we love him? Yeah. And um, it was. I just. I just recommend that people write a love letter to Christ. Who's yeah. Amazing, how makes you feel, and how you start thinking about those things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's great. I think uh, it's very important to strengthen our relationship with the Lord more than any other relationship we have. If you love somebody, you spend time getting to know them. You want to know everything about them. You want to hang out together, you know, do things together. We need to have that kind of a relationship with the Lord that we want to talk to God all the time. I can't, man, I cannot not go to church. I got to go to church. I got to go to Bible study. I got to pray. I got to read my Bible. It shouldn't be a chore if we really love them. Yeah. And that's what's turned a lot of people off from religion. Yeah. I remember my Grandfather wasn't a Christian. My daddy, every time we went up there, he tried to talk to him. And the last conversation that my daddy said, well, I know, he said, you see old A.G. over there? He said, yeah. He said, he's Christian. He said, oh, he said, he stole the chickens. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, and he yeah. said, that's all. You know. Yeah. And so, big day was done. And, right. You know, and so we have to realize that how we act, mm -hmm. you know, it can have a And part of the reason why we're not able to, like I said, win people is because somebody else has hurt them. So our job should be to heal them. Like if somebody's been hurt by something that happened in the church, I think about, you ever, you ever look at our, I know we're way over time, but you ever think about when you're looking at the church directory, people that are in the directory that we hadn't seen in six months or a year? Every church has those people. And sometimes we talk about trying to reach the people that have left, but we also need to be looking for other people that have left. If, if they've left another church, this is our opportunity. Say, well, I'm sorry that you got hurt there, but come over here. But we all have to collectively work together. We, we've, brought, we've brought people to church before that we told them you're going to be safe. We, you're, we've got you. Nobody's going to say anything to you. You can sit with us. And lo and behold, somebody puts their foot in their mouth. This, this happened once where we had invited this lady and she came and she brought her children and was sitting in the fellowship meal. And as she was taking her first bites from the meal, a member came up to them and made fun of her daughter. And she never came back. She never came back. And I'm sitting there going, no, no, you know, don't. Be careful before, you know, we, we do have to heal a lot of hurts with people that have been um, abused. And it is, it's, it's spiritual abuse. It's spiritual abuse. We don't talk about that very often. But there are some people that have PTSD as a result of spiritual abuse, being forced and told you're lost and you're going to hell. And they, they don't want to go sit somewhere. I mean, you don't voluntarily go sit and have your teeth drilled on. They have to tell you. You, nobody goes, hey, I just want to go to the dentist and have three teeth cut out. You that doesn't happen. So That's it, a good it, lesson, right? Yeah. <laughs> Spiritual abuse, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, I think definitely, yeah. I think so, too, whenever you invite somebody and you know they're coming, you better be there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because they are looking right. for you. Right, That's right. 
All right, so that's what we have until next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. Be sure to like and follow and subscribe to our social media pages. You can find channels and links on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok pages. Check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to contribute to the show, if you want to send some prayer requests or suggestions about upcoming content, please email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Hope you have a wonderful day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.